This podcast is brought to you by the Sydney Institute for Psychoanalysis. If you'd like to hear more audio lectures like this, head to our website, sydneypsychoanalysis.asn.au. The next event is in March 2014, Engaging with Psychoanalytic Ideas and Concepts, starting with a three-part lecture series presented by Dr. Louise Braddock, entitled A Conversation Between Philosophy and Psychoanalysis. There's more information and registration forms online at sydneypsychoanalysis.asn.au. Meet like-minded people and participate in the discussion. We hope to see you there. And now, if you can't hear the silence, you're not listening to The Words by Morris Whelan. My title is, If You Can't Hear the Silence, You're Not Listening to the Words. The apparition of those faces in the crowd, petals on a wet black bough. In 1912, at Place de la Concorde on the Paris Metro, a poet watched the the passing flow of faces. And he was very moved by his experience, and he tried to capture it in a poem. And the poem he wrote was uh, 30 lines long. And he carried the poem around with him for six months, and uh, after six months he decided that the poem didn't do what he wanted it to do, and so he rewrote the poem. And um, the next version of the, of the poem was 15 lines. And he carried it around again. So six months later, he wrote what is the final version of the poem, and it turned out as two lines, 14 words. The apparition of those faces in the crowd, petals on a wet black bow. Now the poet, Ezra Pound, uh, felt that writing short poems was a risky business. And his view was that uh, you risk, that the, there's a risk that the poem will appear meaningless. Now, I agree with Pound that writing short poems is a risky business, but I, I disagree with him about the risk. And I'm going to explain what I mean by referring to two things. The first is this. A poem is a thing. A poem is a made-up thing. It's not a bit of biography... It's not a bit of an experience. Uh, if, if a poem and your actual, the actual experience of the poet actually come together and are the same, uh, they collide. I think the, whole, the poem blows up. It's no longer a poem. It's a bit of biography or something else. So try and think of a poem as a thing. And the second thing I'd like to say, I'd like to say, I will allow uh, Edward Dyer to say it for me. And Edward Dyer was a contemporary of Shakespeare. And in 1585, he wrote, My mind to me a kingdom is. Such present joy therein I find that it 
expel, excels all other bliss that earth affords or grows by kind. So, everything that happens here in this room from now on for the rest of the day, in my mind, depends on whether you uh, take things into the kingdom of your mind and whether you, you ac accept them and receive them. So I'd like to offer you one of my poems, which by coincidence is 14 words. I call it mirror image. Don't look away. I wasn't staring. I saw my youth in you. That's all. See, I think little poems particularly ask big things of you and ask you to take it into your mind, as I said. So I'm going to offer you another little poem, which in fact is even shorter, which I've written as a sort of companion to that one. And it's ten words, which I call Real Presence. Your spirit at my side, absent footprints in the snow. And now that your minds are wide open, I'm going to read you a piece from my novel Boat People. Um, and this piece of the story is set in Ireland in 1848 during the Great Famine and the family called the Donovans are leaving their cottage uh, for the last time to travel to Cork and on to Sydney. And they've closed the door of the cottage for the last time and their friends are lining the road to say goodbye. The father is called Michael, the mother is Catherine, and there's Ethan and Emily, who are two children. They passed along the hedgerows where Michael had played as a child. When he was a small boy, he knew the position of every bird's nest along the way. The trush, the blackbird, the robin. He knew them all by the colour of their eggs, and the wren, the smallest of all the only one to put a roof on its house. When Catherine came to these parts, she too walked the fields, first with Michael, then with growing life in her womb. Later, before Aoife and Emily had grown steady on their feet, each were lifted and invited to look into secret places and see those priceless treasures. The eggs of the thrush, blue with browny red speckles, 
those of the blackbird, a turquoisey blue, the robin redbreast's pale bluish green. Days later they looked again and saw and heard the tiny blind chicks. Outside the nest, the discarded pieces of eggshell were carefully picked up and carried home in the palm of the hand. Mrs. Fingleton stood at the end of her laneway, her grandson at her side. She looked like some ancient building, he a flying buttress holding her erect. Michael saw her battle with pain as she stood and waited. The old woman spoke in the old Gaelic tongue. Gunairi and Borhalat, Grevan Gwe, Gabrok, Gashul, Gulunri and Green, Gater and Agi, Gadiat and Bostok, Gamin, Erdufurkana, Axkamehamid Lakela Rish, Gugwinadia, Imus, Alaifu. Before they had gone half a mile, they had passed fields, each with their own name, each telling a history that was never written down. The Grove, Murphy's, the larches, the Rath, the Copse, the Hollow. And each twist or turn along the road, each small stream crossed, had its history and its name. Out of the misty morning a spectral figure emerged, walking towards them on the side of the road. Michael knew him by his step. It sat beside each other and shared the same slate in Donald Pendergast's classroom. Like a hooded shade, he raised his arm straight up, high above his shoulder, his head bowed. For him, all goodbyes had been spoken, all looks given and received. He neither slowed down nor increased his speed, but walked steadily on, his arm still held high as the mist having momentarily presented him, received him back again. I mean, what, what do we notice as we pass through life, as we, as we migrate through a day, for example, or a week? And what do we hear and listen for? Are we aware of absent footprints? Do we have the spirits of others at our side? Do we stare long enough to see something that means something? And will we spend months or years living with a fleeting moment? I think we're constantly losing things. And um, I mean, loss comes to us in many forms. I mean, there's a huge big losses which we can all identify. But I lost a word for 40 years. And I didn't even know it was gone. And when I found it, it had a profound effect on me. And the way it happened was with that piece in Gaelic that I, I read to you, that's the old Irish blessing, you know, may the road rise to meet you, may the wind be always at your back. 
And when I was writing the book, I was trying to decide whether I'm going to put this in in Gaelic or in English. And you know, Anyway, I've ended up putting it in in both. Then the book was written and the proofs arrived and corrected and was sent off and the book was launched in Sydney. And then I, I was invited to Perth to launch the book. And I decided on the Perth launch that I would read the Gaelic piece. Uh, and I learned Gaelic in a rudimentary way in Ireland a long time ago. Never spoke it fluently. But it had a, you know, it was part of songs and poems that one learned. So, in, as it were, practicing for Perth, I read the Gaelic thing for the first time. So I read Ganari and Borholat, Gorevan Quay. And when I said the word Quay, I was stopped in my tracks. It's that feeling you have before you weep. Um, profound sort of sensation. Um, Seamus Heaney has a poem where he talks about driving along on a windy day in the car and he says, as big soft buffetings come at the car sideways and catch the heart off guard and blow it open. <laughs> well, I was blown open by the word guay, which means wind. And it's spelt, spelt G-H-A-O-T-H. Which may not make any sense to you until you know that Irish people don't pronounce their th's. There's no th sound. In, there's no the sound in Gaelic, even though the h is the th is there. But that means you soften. The h softens the t, so it's gwe. Thanks for listening. To download the full talk, visit us online at sydneypsychoanalysis.asn.au.